This is a version of an old fable, The Eagle and the Hen, and this version is told in a book of stories by the Misnagdim. The Misnagdim were the opposers of the Hasidic movement of the Jewish faith. Their old school rabbis, primarily from Lithuania, who believed that Hasidism was dangerous and would lead the Jews away from the more traditional teachings of Judaism. I decided to tell this version of the fable just because I like it better. A flock of eagles were flying over the land. From their high and very clear view, they were able to see through the dense forests, all of the villages, and over all of the lakes. All the beauty of the whole world lay beneath them. But as they flew, one of them suddenly felt a sharp pull in its wing, like something had snapped. So he began flying down so he could examine himself and figure out what happened. When he landed, he found himself in the middle of a chicken coop. He wasn't too stressed out about it because he knew he just had to figure out what was wrong with him and then he could be on his way. But as he examined his wing, he found it was a really bad injury and it would take some time to recover. So the eagle began to look around and the more he saw, the more he disliked the place that he had found himself. These chickens, just look at what disgusting and messy birds they are. They call themselves birds, yet they don't even fly. They just flap their wings and hop up and down. And when they eat, they peck and dig down into the ground, eating their food right out of the dirt. And they cackle at each other with those unpleasant sounds. And so the eagle isolated himself in a corner of the chicken coop, knowing that his recuperation time would be short, and then he could rejoin his brothers and sisters in the sky. But as time passed, the eagle became lonely, and gradually he ventured out of his corner and began communicating with the chickens. And slowly he started to imitate their ways, so much so that eventually he forgot who he was and where he'd come from and began to believe he was a chicken. The year passed and again the original flock of eagles were flying over the same area. One of the eagles in the flock noticed below his brother Eagle in the chicken coop. And so he quickly descended, circling the area, and flew down to land next to his brother. The eagle in the chicken coop didn't even notice. Indeed, this first eagle was flapping his wings, jumping up and down, hopping and pecking in the dirt for his food. The second eagle spoke to him. Come, you don't belong here. You're an eagle, not a chicken. Come fly away from here with me. The first eagle responded, oh, <laughs> Don't be silly. This is my place. This is where I belong. No, brother. This is not where you belong. You don't understand. You can spread your wings, fly higher. You don't have to poke around in the dirt for your food. You can fly to the highest places. You can take your food wherever it's to be found. You're an eagle. And gently and slowly, the second eagle began to persuade his brother. 
that the habits he had chosen for himself here were not of his true nature, and they were limiting, and that he was indeed an eagle who could soar to great heights, until eventually the two eagles began to spread their wings together and soar high off into the sky, where they could see the dense forests, the villages, the lakes and the rivers, and all of this magnificent creation. The eagle had finally resumed his destiny. You're listening to Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, a muse, and a meditation genie. Today I'm exploring personal, independent motivation and solitary wisdom. Yes, this week I'm pretty entranced with eagles because I was shown by some grace I don't even understand that a big American bald eagle has nested somewhere near my house. I've encountered it several days this week flying over me in the front yard and it's amazing to see one of these birds in real time. Eagles are usually solitary, but they will congregate in large flocks at feeding sites and roosts, especially in the wintertime. And they're monogamous, mating for the season and then flying away, and then they'll come back to the same bird the next year. But if their mates die, they will find another one. These birds are pretty balanced when it comes to managing their alone time with courtships and those communal gatherings when the weather gets tough. They're a prime example of personal freedom. They're not limited to much at all. Their diets are so diverse, they have their favorites, usually fish, but they can have almost anything they want. They don't have many predators to worry about. Their biggest threat is is a human being with a gun. They've thrown bears out of trees. They'll fight leopards and coyotes. They're not afraid of much. And they rule the sky, flying higher than anything else that can breathe. And because of these things, they've earned the reputation of authority, power, and they're the symbolization of freedom and victory. The first thing I like to do every morning before I really interact with anybody online, on the phone, or in real life, before I even eat my breakfast, before I do anything, I like to grab a shawl off the nail in the hallway, wrap up in it if it's chilly, open the door, and if it's not absolutely freezing, go barefoot. through the dewy, wet grass, all the way out to the old barn, and I like to sit by the rushing, bubbling water of the creek. I like to hear that natural sound every morning and let myself kind of get hypnotized by the movement of that water. This is before my brain even fully wakes up. I'm still half asleep, and in this state of mind, This is when I can really feel the spirit of that water, and it moves with so much grace, with so much persistence. It never stops. It never gives up. Nothing can hold or imprison the water of a rushing creek, not even the ice in the wintertime. It never freezes solid. 
always rushing, always moving. Water, if it's trapped under a rock bed, it will find the tiniest crack and work on that area for centuries until it's opened it up enough and made its way through. It seems to have patience. It has tenacity. It's steady, and it never lets anything hold it back, just like the eagle. Sometimes as I'm sitting there consciously mingling with this, it almost feels like this water is its own entity. I believe that being solitary has its benefits. It gives me, for example, a bigger sense of independence, and it gives me more of a drive to make up my own mind, explore ideas that are not part of the status quo. It takes me away from all that communal noise and all those social norm structures, and it gives me the freedom to let my mind work in a space that encourages that independence. To have adequate time for your mind to be relieved of that stress of dramatic situations and complex responsibilities, that isolated time will shift your thinking, and it seems to work like a defragmentation of the mind without drugs. (laughs) It's pretty cool. But you'll notice, even cut off from human society, you're not really getting away from life. There's a lot happening outside. Even in the desert, there's life. Coyotes, jackrabbits, rattlesnakes, and bobcats. A ton of different birds. You're never really alone. Unless you're in solitary confinement in in a prison facility. But when you do find a space away from other humans, your creativity gets a chance to just bloom without interference from other people who might indirectly, they don't always mean to, inhibit or discourage or influence with their own personal goals in mind. You're free. You're free in the sovereign space to draw out your own heartfelt responses to things and more personal ideas and to figure out how to package them into something tangible for people to understand. Music, stories, inventions, philosophies, anything that's been hiding deep inside you. And ideas come from your inner higher self. Lessons come from the wild, solitary time, alone time. It's such a great space. It's a way to develop control, patience, learn to be personally content. You know, I used to have social anxiety, and it was pretty bad. When I was a kid, I wouldn't even raise my hand in a classroom. I was terrified of people. I thought I hated people. And that went on and on and on into my 20s and then my 30s. Although I had all these crazy past experiences, they were mainly solo. I was letting myself miss out on so much that comes from knowing and interacting better with people. Not being afraid to speak and make the first effort to get to know somebody and to collaborate and so, so much more. I was not content with myself, not comfortable in my own skin. I had these constant, really dark thoughts driving me to this side of existence that was just deadening. 
empty, attracted to anything that was desolate or depressing. And it just kept me down. This serious social anxiety and self-worthlessness. But living in this wild space in nature taught me all those things that I needed to learn in order to be personally content enough to stand on my own in a room full of strangers and be completely at ease for the first time. To be able to completely go with the flow, live in the moment, completely and absolutely enjoy being with people. Living solitary but in this wild space, showed me how to be proactive. I developed courage that I'd never had before, and a really, really strong sense of ease, a feeling of being laid back, relaxed, at rest. I was finally spiritually at rest. I didn't feel like I was lacking anymore. I didn't feel like I was in some kind of mad competition with other human beings to gain approval. I didn't feel like I wasn't good enough. Everything changed. I stopped experiencing so much false guilt and so much pressure. That was the biggest thing. I didn't feel the social pressure anymore. And the first time I realized that I had changed so much in this regard was when I decided last year, actually, that I was going to go on this heavy metal cruise. I'd never been on one before, and this was my first time. I'd spent almost two years in the woods at this point by myself, mostly. I mean, my mother wasn't living too far away, and I'd periodically see her. But I'd pretty much forgotten during that time what it was like to be around a whole bunch of people and how nervous I always was around people especially in a party atmosphere, and up in New York. And I decided I would go on this cruise by myself. Nobody to hold my hand, watch my back, just me. It was kind of an impulsive decision. And it left from the other side of the country. So I got on a plane. I went to California, and I stepped onto this ship that sailed out into the Pacific all by myself, with a whole bunch of metalheads, a whole bunch of alcohol, and a lot of loud music. It was a complete culture shock from my isolation here in the woods. I spent the night before at some young hipster couple's house. They were renting it out as an Airbnb. And then I called a car to take me to the party. Now, if this had been three years ago, I'd have been a nervous wreck full of anxiety. I would have felt like I was going to toss my cookies. I'd have been all sweaty and clammy, but nope. After coming head to head with bears and coyotes and snakes and cries of death at all hours of the night, walking onto that ship was a breeze. I didn't even feel like I was in real life anymore. It felt a little weird, a little bit like a strange dream. There were voices and bodies and a lot of eyeballs, but I had gotten so used to detecting the most subtle body language and life patterns that I could easily almost smell the fear and the anxiety and these really subtle insecurities 
coming from other people this time and not from me. I recognized that old feeling, and it didn't belong to me anymore. Not everybody, of course, but quite a few of them. It was an old smell, an old feeling. That memory from my old self and my past. And that's when I realized that social anxiety was not a part of me anymore. I had totally released that, and I had let it go. And that became one of my biggest achievements from living out here in the wilderness. But this wasn't all perfect. The one cost it came with was that I couldn't stay focused. I had become a wild animal myself, and I couldn't keep my eyes on one thing. I couldn't listen to one thing. It was really hard for me to stay attentive in one direction unless somebody had me away from everybody else in a quieter space on the boat somewhere. And I didn't have that much to distract me from the conversation. It took me a good two days to become human again and find that headspace to have a real conversation with anybody. And I was fortunate enough to meet a few friends who did take that time with me to let me focus and relax a little bit. And they had no idea what they were doing. I think they just wanted a break from the madness, too. So I'm a strong advocate now of balance. Too much solitary space, for me anyway, is just as defeating as being caught in that human competitive rat race or an overdramatic social lifestyle every single day. This quarantine has taken a toll on some people because they're on one very extreme side or another, and we're more complex, and we intuitively look for more than just one focused way in which to do things, and this is what makes our lives richer. Being able to do a whole lot of different things or being open to different ideas, being willing to take new chances and to have the courage to push our limits and reach for more experiences. It's what makes us attractive and adaptable and healthier. One of these old versions of the fable of the chicken and the eagle, it ends in an awful, depressing, sad, sad way. The eagle grows up in the chicken coop because he's placed there by a farmer as a juvenile when he falls out of his nest. The farmer finds him and he puts him with his chickens. So all his life, he's told by the chickens that he can't fly and that his place is there in that chicken coop forever, pecking for food in the dirt and the chicken waste. And he keeps seeing these eagles soaring way up above him, wishing and dreaming that he could be up there flying because that's where his heart naturally is. But he believes the chickens telling him he's not an eagle, that he can't fly, so he never tries. And he lives out the rest of his life in that chicken coop, never believing and never trying, and without even an attempt to stretch out his wings. He dies in there, an empty space in his heart, being told by others forever what he is and what he should do with his life and never taking a chance to see for himself. I chose to tell the other fable version because I didn't want the sad ending. 
I choose not to gravitate towards sad endings anymore and to surround myself with things that weigh darkly on my mind, things that would work to keep me in that state of thinking that inhibits growth and joy. Because if we surround ourselves with heaviness and with doubts, if we keep hearing enough people tell us we can't fly, we never will. You've been listening to Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. A huge thank you to the biggest supporters of this show, Bruce Presson, Arnold Bloom, Chris Nolan, and Sheila McGregor. And thank you to all of you who have been helping through reviews, feedback, PayPal donations, and these wonderful, wonderful personal messages I've gotten. I read and appreciate every single one of them more than you know. Have a great weekend and be nice to the animals. They might tell you a secret. <laughs>